Welcome to the Partners for Better Communities podcast. I'm Douglas Jackson with the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development. And today our guest is Matt Lawless, the town administrator for the town of Scottsville. That's in Albemarle County. And that's all I'm going to say. Um, really, this episode is going to be kind of a well, there's, there's this phone ringing right now. I was going to say it's the day in the, li- day in the life of a town administrator. Uh, and apparently it's a busy one since, since the phone, we might hear the phone ringing in the background. Uh, Matt's in his office. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about um, how he got to where he is because that's what we're going to ask him. Uh, so thanks for being here, Matt. Absolutely. Appreciate you doing this. Yeah. So first off, describe the town of Scottsville for me. Well, we're on the James River, halfway between Richmond and Lynchburg. The town population is about 600, and we're in the rural area surrounded by Albemarle, Fluvanna, and Buckingham County. The town had its um, bicentennial a couple of years ago, and there's been all kinds of river and canal history that's gone through. But today, it's a... um, a pretty quaint Virginia Main Street affiliate, just a little way south of Charlottesville at Route 6 and Route 20. I really enjoy working in a historic district um, in, a, in a rural area that also isn't uh, too far away from Charlottesville and Richmond. And uh, the community's been very welcoming to me three and a half years into the job. And uh, I appreciate being the, the chance to help out a little bit here. Great. We're going to find out a little bit more about the town in a little bit. Uh, but first, let me take a little detour and find out about you. How did you come into this line of work? Public service is in the family. Um, my, uh, my mom was a, a nurse and then a hospital administrator and teacher of nurses. Um, and my dad was a, a landscaper, um, spending most of his career with the park service. Um, we would go around D.C. when I was a kid, and he would point out trees that he had planted. And uh, we go back uh, decades later, and those trees are still there. And he, uh, he used to say some of my favorite people are trees. I wound up a, I wound up a little more sociable than that, uh, but knew I, knew I wanted to do um, uh, public service as well. Let's see. I went to William & Mary undergrad um, for political science, and then um, an MPA from American University in D.C., most of my classmates were working on uh, federal service ambitions, but um, the small town setting appealed to me more. So my job history prior to Scottsville was um, Winchester City Hall and then city of Charlottesville, the Albemarle County government and the town of Boone's Mill in Franklin County. So I enjoyed Southwest and small town work, but had a lot of friends back around Charlottesville. So when the Scottsville job posted, it was the perfect mix of um, small town work, but not being too far from fun things to do in the city. Yeah. yeah. So uh, did you grow up in Virginia then? Winchester. In in Winchester. Okay, great. And so you've had uh, a lot of different experiences. So county, larger city... Um, small town and you, and small town feels like your, your, your vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's small enough that, um, you know, getting to know a lot of the community feels pretty easy to do. Um, our, our little bureaucracy can also move a little bit faster and that feels good. Um, it's a little easier to be creative and, uh, to get projects done quickly. And I enjoy being able to work on lots of different things from, um, you know, flood control and parks planning to um, supporting a small police department 
budget work. Sometimes I troubleshoot the computers and update the website. I like being able to do all kinds of different things in one day. That was all today, what I said there. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. So did any of those jobs today, I know it's two, I'll give a little context. It's 2.15 in the afternoon, so you've been, you've been hard at it. Did any one of those get you uh, more excited than another job? Hmm. Oh, it depends. Um, but um, yeah, r- right before this, um, corresponding on our regional hazard mitigation plan, the, the town council told me at the interview that job number one here is don't let it flood. We're on the river and that's a big part of our history for good and bad, the, the commerce and now the tourism on the river. But the floods have been very damaging through our history. And we have a flood control system now that we um, take a lot of pride in in the community, but also take that work really seriously. So thinking about a future with climate change and the, um, the 1% risk flood is going to get bigger and what used to be the 1% flood is going to happen more often. So we have to make sure that we're ready for that. Today is fairly quiet in the office and some good kind of head down time to think about what that might mean for us in the future. What does that entail in case if someone hasn't worked on a, on a hazard mitigation plan? Is that, is that uh, technical, engineering, physical, human? It's a community organizing document of, you know, what are the risks in our region and what um, what kinds of preparation actions do we need to do to be better prepared? Um, So it's going to mean training more volunteers, getting the word out about evacuation planning, but also steps that we can do to improve our resiliency, improving those tree buffers along the creeks, um, installing rain barrels and solar panels and backup generators. All that's important, but also like getting to know your neighbors and who's who's disabled and needs help evacuating, um, who has a, a basement full of canned food and who doesn't. What I've seen is that the emergency work goes a lot better when you know your neighbors and what they're good at and what they need help with. And when everybody comes out at the same time with um, chainsaws to clean up after a severe storm, you know, it helps when you already have relationships with your neighbors. So there's both a a budget and infrastructure part and a community organizing part of this. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about resiliency. We, you know, we use that term a lot now uh, and we think about it in terms of the environment and physical threats to us. And we think about economic resiliency uh, and, and, and that community connection. So like, sounds like it's a, it's a big part of, of being a resilient community. What else comes into that? Um, it what you're describing kind of gets at the at the limits of what I don't know the local government can do and is good at, and and when those community relationships are stronger, it means that there's more. Um, it it gives the government more slack um, because people are better able to help each other, um, especially like in the disaster situation, in that first. F- few hours or that first few days before the federal help arrives, Um, you know, neighbors on the block being able to help each other. But that also is true day in and day out at the small town level that we're we're so small with our staff and our budget. There's a lot of things that we can't do entirely on our own. So like the the biggest, busiest day in town uh, in Scottsville is our Independence Day parade. And that's very much a, a feel good community organized activity as well who's in the who's in the parade who puts together the 
the fireworks and the flea markets and the concerts and yard sales. Um, so that's that's very volunteer driven as well. So um, I feel like an important part of my work is, okay, what does the community want to see happen? And identify the parts of that that are like appropriate for the town government to do and that we're good at, but also find volunteers and get other people excited. How can we do this together? Because um, it works better that way and it's more fun when it's not just all um, you know, paid for with taxes. I think it, it can be fun, uh, but we hear a lot of times uh, in communities, especially in smaller communities, uh, you know, p- people will say, well, we've, we've only got a certain number of volunteers. That's one of the limiting factors or the, the same people might have been volunteering for years and years. How do you do it in Scottsville? How do you, how do you get people excited and energized? Uh, what, what drives volunteerism? Um, we pitch it to new people. I, I hear what you're. I hear what you're saying about the same. The same folks um, show up, and those volunteer networks get tired. And especially here in the past couple of years of pandemic work, that that um, that burnout is real. And we've had some of our pillars of our community get worn out on it. So both the town staff and the town council here are deliberate about reaching out to new people and making new invitations. Maybe if you are um, new in town um, and don't know a lot of folks, hey, I see you at the pub there. Um, Let's get to know each other. And, uh, you know, what are your interests? And here's some things going on in town that line up with that. So our new residents, our new business owners, um, the the welcome and the, um, you know, the open arms tends to go over pretty well. And when new neighbors learn about everything that we've got going on, they often do step up and want to get involved too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, thanks for talking a bit about the, the important networks that make it work within a community. How about across communities? Um, I would imagine for a smaller community, uh, the neighbors in the other sense make a real difference. So surrounding communities and the sense of a region where you are, how do you see that playing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of zooming out on my mental map, um, greater Scottsville is a big part of it, that our town limits are pretty small. That town population is um, 600, but we're the, the center for a, a greater Scottsville rural community of more like 5,000. The people who use our post office and our um, grocery store who feel like they're from here, even though they're not within the town limits. Um, so they're very welcome and involved. And that covers our Chamber of Commerce, the people who fill the streets at trick-or-treating and at Fourth of July and the parade, who volunteer with the fire department, maintain our local economy, and are very active on all of our community events. And that also extends to the government partnerships, too. It's like I said, we're at the at the corner of Albemarle and Fluvanna and Buckingham counties. So a lot of the public service projects that we do involve coordination with those agencies. So our our little town police department has mutual aid agreements with the three other police departments. So we all back each other up on shared response. When we went to the General Assembly for a Scenic River designation that would help our environmental and tourism efforts, the town council voted on the resolution, but so did all three county boards, and we come at it together. We've got regional partnerships with our health department. 
and boosting the health department's programs, especially during our COVID response, working together on vaccine campaigns, um, distributing PPE um, all through the community. Those were regional efforts that didn't care about the town boundary or the county boundaries. While we're talking about it, I've been so impressed over the course of the pandemic. And, you know, we, we started this conversation talking about kind of crisis response or preparing for uh, the potential crisis, crises. And the, the lights go out, power's down, and you see neighbors come out in the street and really pull together um, in new ways. And you saw that happen in the, in the pandemic. What's one way you responded during the pandemic or your community responded that you're really proud of? I, can, I, think, of, I think of two things, and they're, they're kind of different, different in character, but they, they both relate to um, volunteerism and different kinds of supply chains. You remember at the beginning of pandemic, there was a big crunch on PPE and masks, and they were, they were hard to get. They weren't made in the U.S. the way that they needed to be, and they're just hard to get a hold of. And the the health district and FEMA didn't have the supply that they needed. And one of my local business owners, she had a relative who was involved in um, uh, hair salon supplies. His job was to supply everything that hair salons needed for their operations. And that included uh, masks for things like when you go to get a, a pedicure, the employees often masks wearing. So he had his own supply chain to factories in Asia that made medical masks and N95 masks. And so he could import those directly. So we fundraised and bought those and he got us space on a container and got enough masks for everybody in Greater Scottsville. And we gave those out for free. So we had thousands and thousands of masks through a small business connection at a point when the health district couldn't get them to us. So that was asking around, identifying the need and doing it with rapid procurement. Um, That felt good in the summer of 2020 to be able to do. And then going around to that winter, our community food bank was maxed out and had more demand than it could could supply at the same time that the um, restaurants were struggling with closures and working on um, takeout programs, you know, takeout business that they hadn't done before. So a bunch of our CARES money went to food bank support and gift card purchases, both at the grocery store and at the local restaurants. So around Christmas time, 2020, we had lots of extra volunteers and added to the um, bulk food distributions, whole stacks of gift cards to the local restaurants and the, um, the grocery store in town to provide that kind of um, freedom of choice and the ability to support local restaurants that we had some holiday dinners for families who needed it, who might not have been able to afford it, take out from the local restaurants and have that, have that date night at home. Great. So let's let's talk a little bit about where you're where you're headed, the projects you have on the horizon, projects you're working on currently, and these can be DHCD projects or um, or not. One of the fun ones with DHCD is um, y'all's community business launch program. I've seen that um, deployed really well with great results all over the state, and Scottsville's in a good place to take advantage of that program uh, now. We had um, a couple of retail casualties on our main street, but also some historic buildings that are primed for renovation here now. 
And one of the effects of pandemic recession and the recovery from it is a lot of interest in entrepreneurship, people who are changing careers and ready to do their own thing. We've seen a little bit of that in Scottsville already. There's a new bakery opening up next week. And we had a new um, river supply um, outfitter open up over the summer. But there's still a fair number of vacant storefronts. And so Scottsville is on board with the Community Business Launch Program, taking DHCD funding and matching it with American Rescue Plan funding. So the town is able to support this at a good level easily within our budget. We're offering small business training classes to new entrepreneurs um, and pointing them towards um, vacant spaces and historic buildings on our main street. We haven't launched the application process just yet, but even with the announcement of the award, I've gotten uh, seven or eight interested entrepreneurs already who are on a waiting list. So I'm really excited to see what comes out there and um, what kind of ribbon cuttings we get come next spring. Terrific. And do you have, do you have partners as you're, as you're building that and in, in providing the training or how's, how's that going to work? Our trainer is the Community Investment Collaborative out of Charlottesville. They're the small business development center in the region. So they're pretty experienced in doing these kinds of workshops. So for them to do something that's based in Scottsville and tailored to our community isn't too hard for them. Um, so we'll be able to um, meet these entrepreneurs where they are and point them to spaces in town, and make that pretty easy and seamless for them. Mm-hmm. Now, are, are you driving this, this project or who, who, who pulled this together and kind of brought partners together? Yeah, I, um, I saw that it had been successful in other parts of the state and had um, existing relationships with your agency staff. So it looked like a good match. The town did the application. I already knew the trainer in Charlottesville and the local chamber of commerce has been very uh, helpful in um, outreach and recruiting. So it, um, you know, the, the enthusiasm was already there. And for me, the, the best win is when I can just do a little bit of paperwork and help get everybody together. Yeah, it, but it's never that easy, right? Um, so you do some paperwork, you get everybody together, but I imagine you've got some best practices that you uh, put to work when you're when you're creating something across a, a a collaborative. Do you have any you have any tips for folks who are are working on projects? Keep working the phones, um, especially with. Um, my younger colleagues, it feels like we have um, a little telephone anxiety and uh, something that takes, you know, too many emails can be done more easily with a quick phone call or just running down the street and talking to somebody if that's physically possible. So, I mean, lately I've found myself more often um, working the phone and now that in-person meetings are a little bit easier, um, just running around and bothering people that... Um, there's no substitute for the face-to-face relationship. And I, I wish I had more time in the day to um, just call around and catch up with everybody. That our, our work is um, majority social. Um, and sometimes I check myself for being too much in the um, spreadsheets and reports when getting something done really is more about who you know and how well you know them. I never regret time that I spend um, building up those relationships. Wish I could do it more. Wow, I really, I, I respond to what you just what you just said, and I, I found myself recently 
apologizing for interrupting somebody by calling them. You know, I think there's become a culture and I'm older, um, but there's become a culture of, okay, we'll text and we'll email and we'll set up a time to talk and which takes a lot of time and a lot of planning. And it is so much easier just to pick up the phone and call and talk. And I look back at the people, even my closest personal friends are people that I've worked on projects with. And so much of that is that face-to-face, um, rolling up your sleeves, um, w- figuring out what your shared values are, understanding what you're working toward together, working through those inevitable missteps. Uh, and then at the end of it, you've got a colleague that you trust. Um, you often have a friend uh, that comes out of it. And if we don't do the face-to-face, we certainly will shortchange that. Um, and I, I would think that not only will the relationship not be as strong, but the project won't won't be as strong. No, it's harder to it's harder to problem solve or um, resolve conflict when you don't have that um, well of relationship and, and trust. And it feels like we've been drawing down on some of that in the past couple of years. And that's part of the stress that we've accumulated. Um, so we have to be thoughtful about building that back up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think we've, we've built habits certainly during the pandemic out of necessity. And, and I think organizations and individuals, even, you know, churches even are saying, okay, now how do we, how do we come back together? When do we come back together? Do we come back together? Because there is a certain, um, you know, a lot of people are pretty happy with the virtual, um, like the example of a church, I guess, not having to get dressed on a Sunday morning um, and being able, to, being able to do it from your PJs and, at home. Um, yeah, but, but that's, there's a cost to that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, what, what, what challenges are you working on right now? Um, what do you, where's your, where's your learning happening? Hmm. Um, doing my work fairly and equitably. Um, the, um, the DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion field, um, didn't exist when I was in undergrad. Um, and my graduate training, I'm looking at the bookshelf of textbooks, like financial management, project management, tax policy, uh, it, it leads to some serious blind spots in um, the, the community building part of the work that I've spent most of the time here now talking about, especially on racial justice and economic justice kind of issues. Town Council is taking those more seriously, and um, I don't have the training background to respond well to the problems in the community that they're identifying. Um, so, um, admitting that is important and reading and learning to try to fix it is a big part of my professional development. And then, like I said, you know, being deliberate about who we call and who we include and making invitations for all kinds of residents in the community to get more involved, just making a point to go and do that. Um, that it's, um, it's not the hardest thing, but it takes, um, it takes attention to get a little bit out of my comfort zone to um, go do it. And our work is better for it. Yeah, yeah, I think I think a lot of 
a lot of folks are in that that, that same position. And to me, it, it's felt like an exciting period um, as we've started to to learn together in community and ad- address longstanding inequities. And one thing that has really become clear to me is just how much in, and if we were just together at the governor's housing conference, of course, and Dr. Ibram Kendi spoke and, and you thank you very much. You hosted a, a, a conversation, kind of a kind of a primer conversation before we went into the into the main session, uh, which I thought was really effective. Um, but one thing that, you know, that, that's clear from his work is that, you know, there, there are policies that need to be changed and it has to happen through policy change. But one thing that has also been really clear to me is that so much of what happens is just kind of ad hoc and the way things have always been done. And there's so much in day-to-day decisions at a staff level or, or um, just in, at an organizational level, if an organization in a community has done things a certain way or who they've invited to the table or how they've done their outreach or how they communicate. Um, and so once we start doing that learning, it kind of opens up so many possibilities and i think that's where it gets it, it gets exciting and not only new possibilities but new relationships yeah you're, you're you're describing um organizational culture within the local government and then community culture in the broader area um and some of that changes formally you know you you can make um public statements about vision and values um but some of it is also just day-to-day behavior that Culture is the accumulation of lots of individual choices, and you you have that choice every day, how you're going to spend your time and who you're going to talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, what else are you looking forward to in your work? Um, American Rescue Plan Projects, um, it's a tremendous amount of money and a tremendous opportunity. Um, it's the... Um, the American Rescue Plan check is the single largest revenue check that the town is getting this entire year. Um, and it, so it makes a big difference in our budget. And it's, I've, I've described it in several meetings as the, the largest boost of federal aid with the fewest strings attached that I think most communities in Virginia have ever received. Um, so there's, I think there's a pretty powerful opportunity there to do things differently or achieve some stretch goals that may have felt um, permanently out of reach. So those are pretty exciting planning conversations. And in in Scottsville, that looks like really improving our riverfront, which is not a beautiful park now, but um, it very well could be. And um, really revitalizing Main Street which is um, cute and historic, but it has other times been kind of sleepy or parts of it run down. So we have the ability to fix things up in a big way and create some um, important new opportunities for folks. It's exciting stuff. Have those ideas and have the resources to push them forward. So if you're listening to this and your community doesn't have what feels like a transformational plan for your American Rescue Plan money, um, see what you can maybe do about that. Yeah, yeah. It's I've been watching communities as they've gotten these resources and and even prior to this, you know, the CARES Act was giving us resources uh and we were using resources in new and different ways um in kind of a fast, you know, fast responsive way 
this is more focused on the kind of recovery and, and resilience and communities that have had uh, kind of a, an understanding of where they were headed feel like they might have been a, a little bit a, ahead or they didn't have to have some some you know the the conversations were maybe a little short cut they, they didn't have to step back and have the visioning conversation um, in order to to then say, okay, now how are we going to make that make it become real with these resources? Um, what what kind of what kind of documents or what what kind of work had you done to all get on the same page prior to this that made it easier to make these decisions? I feel like we're we're probably pretty in the middle of the road for having a a recently updated comprehensive plan with a pretty wide set of land use and strategy items like related to the park. Excuse me. Town Council had done the facilitated strategic planning retreat, so we knew what kind of the bullet point projects were. We were in an okay place on capital improvement plan, like not not great, but we had an idea of like wish list of construction projects. Um, so when when we read the fine print on ARPA, we could kind of line it up with some project ideas that we already had of here's the things that would have otherwise been really hard to get to that we can now jump on. Um, so it, and the timing of the bill fit in well with our budget process that it was spring of this year and we could just sort of move further down that wish list and get more things done. And we'll be able to do the same thing next year and the year after. Um, ARPA goes until December, 2024. Great. Now one final kind of, kind of question. I, I also responded to what you said about the, the the local and the you know a smaller setting and your colleagues in graduate school being more focused on kind of federal uh, f- federal positions or policies or or change. What's your if you were talking to some say you're talking to some some people who were doing who were in a program and they were planning on digging into public service? What's your sales pitch for digging in deep in a small community? Oh, I, I do I do this now. Um, I have a, a graduate uh, planning intern who um, I think has um, been convinced on the value of small town work versus uh, big big city planning. Um, the opportunity to make a difference faster when you are you know, the only planner in a town, it's easier to make policy changes happen, right? You're not a, um, you're not a cog in a bigger machine. You are, you are the whole thing. And some, the, the downside of that is being pulled in lots of different directions and sometimes feeling overwhelmed that you can't do all of the different things because you don't have staff. Um, but, but you can see the impact of your work and you can make change happen um, more quickly. That um, when new new trees and landscaping are happening across the street right now i know that storm damage is getting fixed and we set that up and we chose what trees are going in there and we're hiring local guys that i know the name of and that across the street is better because of work that i did and not every job lets you do that fantastic well matt lawless keep doing that work having that impact and and seeing change happen uh thanks for taking the time to to spend with us today and i'm sure our listeners next time they are driving through the area they'll probably uh, pull over in scottsville and see those trees check out the, the the riverfront and and come back again in a few years and and see even more change so thanks a lot appreciate it thank you sir i appreciate the time 
And this is Douglas Jackson. I've been with Matt Lawless, the town administrator for the town of Scottsville. And this is Partners for Better Communities, a podcast of the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development.